I'm grateful that you're here today. And last week we started a new series of messages that we're calling Welcome to Babylon. And we're talking about how we can thrive even in the midst of a godless culture. And I'm excited today to jump back into that series. And so I wanna encourage you to find a Bible and uh, go to the book of Daniel and you can find a seat this morning. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you in the seat back in front of you. Daniel chapter number two is where we're going to be today. Learning about how Daniel took a stand with his friends in this new Babylonian culture and how God is sovereign through it all. And today we're going to pick it up in verse number 14 of Daniel chapter two. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Let's start in verse number 13 together. The Bible says this in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 2. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he should give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Watch verse number 21. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject, crisis mode. Crisis mode. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, crisis mode. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you this morning. Lord, thank you for the songs that we've sung and the lyrics that have directed our hearts and attention to you. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, we will be able to look to your word and understand how we should respond and react when crisis comes into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would continue to learn how to stand strong and thrive even in Babylon. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit this morning. I pray that you would give me the words to say that would be beneficial for us. And Lord, I pray that we can leave this room and leave this online service differently because your word has transformed us from the inside out. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today. 
A few weeks ago, our family was on vacation in Washington, D.C., and on one of the days, we decided to take the kids to Ford Theater, and Ford Theater is the place where Abraham Lincoln was shot, and uh, we went there, and we were kind of waiting in line to get the tour started, and we were inside the building, and we were looking across the street, and we noticed that there was a commotion that was starting to take place across the street, and there was a group of people waiting to go to the next part of the tour. They were waiting in line, and there was a man that was acting out very aggressively, and it was getting kind of intense, and this particular man who was clearly uh, intoxicated or under the influence of some kind was coming and yelling at people in the line, and he was even uh, aggressively pretending to hit people, and, and Kate and I are watching this with the kids. We're thinking, man, this is not good, and we're kind of seeing what's going to happen here, and, and really out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this man goes up to another man waiting in line, and he punches him in the face, and Katie and I are watching this whole thing happen like, this is not good, and we are shocked. And uh, thankfully, in that moment, he was okay. The security kind of ran out, grabbed the guy, apprehended him, and took him away. And uh, Katie and I just watched this whole thing happen. And we looked at each other like, what just happened? This was a crazy scenario. And it got Katie and I thinking, and we started talking about, uh, you know, what would we do in that situation? And uh, we were thinking for a moment, you know, there's about to be another tragedy at Ford Theater. This is not going to be good. This guy's going to respond, and uh, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a brawl. But as we watched what happened, the man that was hit, he responded responded so calmly. And he kind of stood there and he picked up his, his glasses that had fell down. He put his glasses back on. He didn't fight back. I think maybe his wife was ready to fight back for him, but she didn't. And, uh, and uh, what uh, impressed Kate and I so much from watching this unusual scene take place was the calm nature in which he responded. And as we observed that, I was reminded of a paramount principle in life, and that is this. Nothing reveals character like a crisis. Who you really are in a crisis will shine through. When your back is against the wall, when you are stressed, when you are struggling, your real character will shine through. It's hard to judge and to determine and to discern someone's real character when the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and the wind is to your back and the conditions are favorable. Anyone can stand strong when life is going well, but who you are when your back is against the wall, uh, that is your real character. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 10, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And so anyone can stand when the conditions in life are favorable, but it's when uh, those conditions are not favorable and we're stressed, that is when we need a strength that is not our own. That is when we need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to help us, to convict us, to guide us, and to lead us on the path that he would have for us. And so the question that I want us to uh, take a look within and answer this morning is how do we respond when we are facing impossible pressure? Uh, what about those moments in life when there is marital stress that is compounding? Uh, what about those moments in life when we're facing temptation to lie at work or a temptation to compromise our convictions? Uh, what do we do when crisis arrives? Because crisis always reveals character. Now, uh, we started last week this new series, Welcome to Babylon, and uh, we're learning that Babylon really is the personification of evil. When you consider a godless culture, when you consider a society without God, uh, Babylon is that picture. And in Babylon, there will always be crisis. In Babylon, there will always be turmoil. There will always be chaos in Babylon. Uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Everybody say peace. 
He says, in me, you can have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. In Babylon, you will have tribulation. You will have pain. You will have difficulty. There will be politics. There will be persecution. There will be turmoil. In the world, you shall have tribulation. But then Jesus says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm thankful today that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. He is greater than Babylon. He is greater than anything that we might see or face in our lives today. And so, yes, in the world, there's going to be pain. There's going to be problems. There's going to be persecution. But followers of Jesus can have something different, the peace of God. And not only can we encounter the peace of God, but we can encounter the very God of peace, even in Babylon. Now, Early on in Daniel's life, as this, as this uh, captivity is taking place with the children of Israel, as they're being brought to Babylon, or early on, Daniel and his friends, they're met with a crisis. And this crisis took form in the place of a dream. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was the most written about evil ruler in all of the Bible. Uh, he has this dream that really troubled him. And he has this dream that was bothering him, and it was really bothering him because he couldn't remember the particulars of the dream. Uh, how many of you have ever had a, had a weird dream, and you woke up, and you knew that you had a weird dream, but you couldn't quite remember the particulars? Anybody like that? And uh, I've had Katie get mad at me in a dream before, and she woke up, and I think she was still mad at me, and I said, hey, whatever I did in the dream, I didn't actually do that, so please forgive me in real life, right? Uh, sometimes we can have a dream, and uh, we can forget the particulars of the dream. Well, that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this was a big problem in this culture, because in ancient culture in the Orient, uh, it was considered to be ominous to forget what a dream was. They believed that the gods were upset at you if you had a dream and you couldn't remember it. And so Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's going to gather all the wise men of Babylon. He's going to get all the astrologers together, all the soothsayers, all the, all the wise men. He's going to gather them together, and he wants them to not only interpret his dream, but tell him what his dream was in the first place. And he says, if you can tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation of the dream, I will bless you and reward you greater than you could possibly imagine. I'm going to give you riches and honor. And if you can tell me what my dream was and interpret it. But if you can't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, this is what he says in verse 5 of Daniel chapter number 2. He says, I'm going to kill you, cut you into pieces, and turn your homes into a dunghill. And so this was pretty serious from Nebuchadnezzar. He was taking this to the extreme. Notice what he says in verse number five. Everybody still with me? Yes. Verse five. The king answered and said unto the Chaldeans, the thing has gone far from me. So he says, I can't remember what this dream was. It's gone far from me. If you will, if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Now, in certain ancient if you wanted to defame someone and uh, if, you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to attack their character or their reputation, you would burn down their house and turn it into a public outhouse. And so that's what uh, Nebuchadnezzar was saying that he was going to do to these uh, wise men and astrologers that could not interpret his dream. Notice verse number eight. The king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time. Now, now, the reason he says, I know of a certainty that thou would gain the time is because the wise men and the astrologers, they had one request to Nebuchadnezzar, just give us some more time. If you want us to interpret this dream, sir, uh, you're going to need to give us a little bit more time because you're asking a very hard thing. And so Nebuchadnezzar says in verse number eight, he says, the king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone far from me. He says, I know what you're doing. Nebuchadnezzar says, you're just stalling. You're just trying to get more time to come up with a plan. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was reading between the lines. And I think there's something very interesting here that is revealed in the response of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was doubting his own religious system. 
Nebuchadnezzar was skeptical of even his own men. He was reading between the lines. He was like, you know, I can see through the charade. I don't even believe that you guys can tell me my dream. I don't even think you can interpret this dream. Nebuchadnezzar was very skeptical. And I think that this is symbolic of a a next generation of people that are growing up today in our country and in our culture that are uh, searching for purpose. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, they're searching for answers, but they are very skeptical of religion. They are very skeptical of religious leaders, and they are doubting the system, and they are saying, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't know if I can really trust uh, the Bible. And that is why the invitation of Jesus is the most powerful invitation that the world has ever known. Because the invitation of Jesus is come and see. The invitation of Jesus is come and bring your doubts. In in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 6, after the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says this, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. And then what happens? Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Come and examine for yourself. Hey, don't take my word for it. Come investigate for yourself. See the evidence. Examine the evidence for yourself. This is the message of Christianity. Come and see. Come and bring your doubts, bring your skepticism, bring your uncertainty, bring your hesitation, and taste and see that the Lord is good and that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is exactly who he says he is. He is God Almighty. Does anybody believe today and is thankful today that we can trust what the word of the Lord says? And so when there is a doubt or hesitancy in our lives, we can say, you know what? Uh, I can search. I can examine the evidence. I'm thankful that we do not have a faith that, that says you cannot ask questions. No, we have a faith that welcomes questions. Hey, don't just take my word for it blindly. If you ever get into an environment where they say, hey, stop asking questions. We don't talk about that here. Hey, you're probably in the wrong place. Because our faith says, hey, bring your questions, bring your doubt. And this is the problem of Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's considering this thing, and he's looking at his wise men and his astrologers, and he's, and he's looking at the soothsayers, and he's saying, I don't even think that these guys are going to be able to help me. I, I'm doubting even this system. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets very angry. These wise men, they respond by saying, hey, uh, sir, we, we don't know if we can do this. You asked a very hard thing. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets very uh, angry. In fact, uh, notice what he says in verse number 10. Actually, yeah, verse number 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's uh, matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such a thing of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. They said, oh, we, can't, we can't do this. Sorry, Nebuchadnezzar. We cannot tell you what your dream was, and we cannot tell you what it means. Everybody tracking so far? Verse 12. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And so King Nebuchadnezzar gets furious and he says, I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to kill all of these wise men of Babylon. This reveals also the stupidity of anger. Have you ever uh, said something or done something stupid because you got mad? Anybody like that on us this morning, right? And uh, anger will always take you further than you wanted to go. And so here Nebuchadnezzar is filled with rage and decides to kill all the wise men of Babylon. This brings us to verse 13. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. This is the crisis moment. There is an executioner knocking at Daniel's door. 
This is crisis mode. And I believe how Daniel responds uh, gives us so much insight as to how we should respond when we are faced with the pressure in life, when our backs are against the wall, when crisis arrives at our doorstep. How should we respond? I want to give us three ways this morning. Number one is this. When crisis comes into your life, stay hungry for wisdom. Stay hungry for wisdom. We have to respond uh, with wisdom. I want you to see the response starting in verse number 14. The Bible says this. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. And so Daniel responds right off the bat with insight, with wisdom, with discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. This was the executioner. Arioch was the man that came with the orders to kill all the wise men. He shows up at Daniel's doorstep getting ready to kill him. And Daniel answered him with counsel and with wisdom of the king's guard, which was gone for to slay the wise men of Babylon. I love Daniel's response here because when tragedy strikes, when crisis arrives in our lives, we must respond with wisdom. Now, not wisdom as the world gives it, but wisdom that comes from above. James differentiates the two in the New Testament in James chapter 3 verse 15. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. There is a wisdom that comes from a world that is a plausible sounding argument that sounds good, that looks good, but is far from what the Bible actually says. And so James says, hey, there is a wisdom that is sensual, that is, that is devilish. But then he goes on in verse 17 of James chapter 3, and he says, but the wisdom that is from above, everybody say above. above. The wisdom that has come from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. There is a wisdom from above that we desperately need to tap into when crisis arrives into our lives. I love flying into Ontario uh, Airport because every time I fly into Ontario Airport, I always want to get a window seat and kind of look out and I want to spot, hey, there's my house and there's where the church is and I kind of want to uh, get my bearings. And I love seeing things from a different perspective. From an aerial point of view, you can, you can gather the whole scene. And what is so important when we're navigating crisis is to get a different perspective, to get a heavenly perspective, to see things as God sees them. And so here's Daniel and right off the bat, we see that he is hungry for wisdom and he responds with this kind of discretion and insight. Uh, we need a new uh, perspective when crisis comes. Uh, there is a commentator named Matthew Henry, and uh, he talked about in his uh, diary entry one night when he was robbed, and uh, he wrote about this, this incident in his diary. He said this. He said, let me be thankful first, because he never robbed me before. Second, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. Third, because although he took all that I possessed, it was not much. And fourth, because, uh, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. And I love this little diary entry because it gives a different perspective on crisis. How many of us would even thank God for any of those things if we were robbed? And, and he had this different perspective when crisis comes. And so how did Daniel respond? Well, he responded with wisdom. This wisdom is first seen in his composure. Notice verse 15. It says this, and he answered and said unto Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? And so uh, Daniel responds really with common sense, and he's composed, he's calm, he's collected. And he says to the executioner who's about to take his life, he says, why is the king being so hasty? Now, everybody in this whole scene was in a frenzy. Uh, everyone in this whole scene was frazzled. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he was frazzled. He was getting ready to, to kill everybody. The executioner was in a frazzle because uh, he had to go and carry out these orders. The wise men of Babylon were certainly worried and panicked because they were about to lose their lives. Everybody was panicked. Everybody was frenzied. Everybody was nervous except Daniel. Daniel was the one that was cool, calm, and collected, and he was practicing composure. 
uh, several years ago. Uh, you may have seen this clip before. Uh, there was an NBA game where Kobe Bryant uh, was playing. The Lakers were playing uh, the Magic, and uh, there was a player that, that, that pretended to throw the ball right at Kobe Bryant's face, and it's a great clip because Kobe didn't flinch in that moment, and I brought that clip for us. Tony Brothers now telling Matt Barnes and Kobe Bryant to knock it off, and he fakes the ball. I mean, somebody in, in a Magic uniform... Uh, there it is. Okay, that's a very spiritual insight in that clip. Okay, uh, Matt Barnes, he, he, he pushes the ball at Kobe, and he doesn't flinch, right? He stays calm and collected. Now, here's the reality, and this is so important, so please hear this this morning. Composure and crisis is so vital in your life, and here's why. Because you will never have longevity in life or ministry if you don't learn to be composed in crisis. Because ministry and serving the Lord is about meeting one crisis after another. If it's not a pandemic, it's political turmoil. If it's not political turmoil, it's a health trial. If it's not a health trial, it's persecution. If it's not persecution, it's a financial struggle. Life and ministry of following Jesus is about meeting one crisis after another. And so when crisis arrives and the world is in a panic, followers of Jesus should be feeling something different, and that is the peace of God. And so Daniel, when crisis came, had composure. He was calm. He was collected. The Bible says in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Everybody say rule. In other words, the peace of God should have authority in your life. Your emotions should not have the authority in your life. Your anxiety should not have authority over your decisions. Don't give your wrong thoughts. Don't, don't give those desires the authority over your decisions. Let the peace of God have the authority in your life. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. And so Daniel, right off the bat, uh, he had this composure. But not only did he have composure, he also had courage. He had courage. I want you to see it in verse number 16. Then Daniel went in. Where did he go? He went in before the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, remember, at this time, just to give you a little bit of a, uh, get, get your bearings here in this story, Daniel, at this time, most commentators believe he's between 17 and 19 years old. And so as a teenager, he finds out he's about to be executed. And the first thing he does is he's going to go and stand before the one that gave the orders to be executed. Uh, Daniel goes right before the king. He's showing this incredible amount of courage. And so he goes in, verse 16. He went in and desired of the king that he would give him time. Now, that's interesting because that's exactly what the other wise men asked for. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He went in a fury. He went in a rage and said, you're all going to be killed. Daniel asked for the exact same thing. He asked for time. His ask was the same. His approach was different. Sometimes it's not what you're asking. It's how you're approaching. It's we're approaching with a negative mindset, with a complaining mindset, with a critical, uh, cynical mindset. Here, Daniel had a different approach. He came in before the king with wisdom, with discretion, with humility, and with courage. Now, here's the question that I want us to ask. How could Daniel have so much courage? Because if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, when crisis comes into my life, I would like to respond with courage. I know that's what I should do, but often I don't resort to that. How can I have courage in crisis? How can I, like Daniel, go and stand before the king with boldness? I believe there was a, a, a pure uh, secret to his courage that we see in chapter 1. I want everybody to see this. Notice chapter 1, verse number 17. Can everybody see it? Chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says this. As for the four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
You know how Daniel could have courage and confidence that he could go stand before the king and discover what the dream was and know what the interpretation was? Daniel knew that he could do it because God gave him the ability to do it. In other words, with God's calling comes God's enabling. And I want to encourage somebody today that is looking for courage, that is looking for that kind of confidence to just know that if God brought you to it, he will see you through it. With his calling comes his enabling. And Daniel had the confidence to move forward. Daniel had the confidence and the courage to walk right in before the king. Why? Because he knew that his God was with him. And today we have to have the courage and the confidence to stand for truth and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because God has empowered us through his spirit to be able to carry out what he has assigned to us. And so uh, Daniel had wisdom and he responded with wisdom. But not only should we stay hungry for wisdom when crisis comes. Secondly, this morning, we must rely on prayer. Everybody with me this morning? We must rely on prayer. Notice verse 17 of our text. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, it would be interesting if after Daniel goes in before the king and he asks uh, for more time and King Nebuchadnezzar grants it to him, it would be interesting if Daniel ran home and he got out all of his books and he got out all of his literature and he says, okay, I gotta figure out how to interpret dreams and I'm gonna really study this thing out. That's not what he does. The first thing that Daniel does is he goes back home and he starts to cry out to the Lord in prayer. And Daniel runs to prayer when this crisis arrives. One author, D. Duke, he says this, almost everyone believes that prayer is important. But there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing that it is essential. Essential means that there are things that will not happen without prayer. And so the degree of our dependency upon the Lord is seen in where we go when stress arrives. Do we go straight to the Lord in prayer or do we try to solve the matter in our own strength? And so today, if you are hurting, if you are filled with anxiety, if you are in crisis mode, if you are confused at what's going on, I would encourage you to take a look within. Am I relying on prayer? Am I resorting to the Lord in prayer or am I handling this in my own strength? And so uh, Daniel, he goes and prays, notice verse 18, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret. And so they're crying out, they're asking God uh, to give and to grant mercy so that he would uh, show them this dream and reveal this dream to them. A couple years ago, in 2019, Crossway Research, they surveyed uh, 14,000 people when it comes to their prayer lives. And only 2% of those 14,000 people said that they were very satisfied with their prayer lives. Which means the vast majority of us in this room and the vast majority of people watching this online, the vast majority of us would probably have to admit in private that we are dissatisfied in our prayer lives. And so how do we respond to a dissatisfied, a dysfunctional prayer life? Because I think all of us today would agree, yeah, prayer is important, prayer is powerful, we should pray. But what happens when we start to pray and it's hard and I don't feel anything and I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do? How should we pray? Well, I believe Daniel gives us a template uh, for how to pray. Are you interested in that this morning? What's the biblical template that Daniel gives? Well, uh, three things today. First, we should pray with friends. Pray with friends. Uh, notice it in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. 
He goes to his friends and he says, guys, we need to get together. He goes to his boys. He gets his squad together and he says, hey, we need to pray. Uh, we need to get together and we need to pray. Uh, I think there's something powerful about private prayer. There's something powerful about public prayer. But I'm thankful there is something very powerful about corporate prayer, collective prayer. When we gather together uh, under the name of Jesus and we seek supplication in his name. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse number 19, and again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall speak, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. I just want to remind you there is power in corporate collective prayer. And so you might think, well, this is a little bit awkward. I don't know what to say. I don't know who in my life I can pray with. I would encourage you to partner with your spouse in prayer. Partner with your small group in prayer. Partner with your children in prayer. Partner with someone at your workplace that you know is a follower of Jesus, or maybe they're not, and ask them, would it be okay if I prayed with you? Because there is power in prayer. And so pray with friends. But then here's the second component that I see. Pray not only with friends, but pray with fervency. You've got to really pray with intentionality and some fervency. Notice what it says in verse 18. That they would desire the mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish. Considering what they were praying about, uh, you can imagine that this was fervent, persistent prayer. They were praying that their lives would not be taken. And so they were, they were boldly going before the Lord and passionately praying. Uh, there was this time in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. Uh, do you remember when uh, Hannah was praying for a child and she was desperately praying for a child and she was pleading with God uh, that, that God would give her a child? When the high priest Eli saw her praying, she was praying with such fervency that he thought she was drunk. She, he thought she was intoxicated. But this is how she responded in 1 Samuel 1 verse number 15. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She was saying, I was pouring out everything before the Lord. I was praying fervently. I wonder, is your prayer life fervent? Are you praying with that kind of intensity, that kind of passion. I remember March 15th, 2020, was the last Sunday that our church met before coronavirus hit, and it was our last Sunday that we gathered together. After that Sunday, the Steelworkers Auditorium, where we were renting, said that we could no longer meet there, and like most churches, we had online service for a few months, and then uh, after that, we met in a parking lot uh, to have services in the parking lot. How many of you were in those parking lot services? I love singing Graves in the Gardens this morning because I remember singing that in the parking lot, everyone honking their horns during the bridge, and uh, we had some great times together. During those few months, I was desperately praying that God would provide for us a building, because I knew that we needed a place to gather. I knew at some point this pandemic would be over. At some point, we're gonna need to gather together. And right now, uh, all of our leads are closed doors. And so I was praying, Kate and I were praying and looking and searching and, and uh, online and dealing with realtors and, and asking God to bring us and to open us up a door to get into a building. And finally, we found a place and we were very excited about it. And it was in Rancho. And uh, we thought it would be perfect for our needs. And we went and we toured it. We talked to the realtors. We got some advice. We got some counsel. We were trying to crunch the numbers. Uh, very excited about this, this potential space. In fact, uh, one morning on a Saturday morning, a lot of the men from our church went to this location. And we prayed over this location. God, if it's your will, would you provide for us this building? And we prayed over that location. The very next day, I signed a letter of intent for our church to move into that location. Very excited about it. Uh, started to kind of make some plans and draw on paper what we could do, how we could reconfigure the building, how 
we would have kids space, how we would have nurseries, and getting excited about this potential new building. About a week after that, we had a meeting with the city on Zoom. We met with the engineers, we met with the fire department, we met with some of the city council. And long story short, they told us in that meeting that if we were to get the uh, certificate of occupancy that we needed for this space, it would cost us over $100,000 for, for a leasing property. And I remember being very discouraged in that moment. And in the first five years of our church, I could say that that was one of the lowest lows for me because I had gotten very excited about this potential property. I thought this is going to be great for our church family. We can grow here. We can expand here. And I was devastated that night when I found out this is not going to work. And I just thought, what are we supposed to do? We can't meet. No one will lease us a building. Uh, what are we how are we supposed to grow? How are we supposed to build for the kingdom of God if we can't even gather together? Uh, the parking lot is only going to last us so long at Jesse Turner Community Center. And so I was discouraged. The very next day, I got an email from someone saying, hey, there is a property on 1061 Church Street on Terra Vista and Church. There's a, there's a church building that's available. Uh, are you interested? And I said, yes, we are interested. And so we went, and, uh, and it looked like God was opening up this space for us. And I remember our church family gathering together. We had something called Gaining Ground Dinners. And for one whole week, we opened up our home, and we filled our living room and our kitchen for a week straight. And what did we do? We shared the vision of, hey, how much this is going to cost, and, and this is what it's going to look like, but our church family gathered together, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed night after night after night. We prayed for that week, and God opened up, and he provided for us financially. We took a miracle offering in a parking lot, and I'm here today to tell you that God has met our needs every single step of the way. He is faithful, and he can see what we cannot always see, and I'm here today to tell somebody that the fervent prayers of God's people still works today, and so today we ought to pray with friends, but we ought to pray with some fervency. But then I see that they prayed with focus. Notice how Daniel and his friends prayed with focus. Notice it in verse number 18. Uh, the end of verse number 18, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon, that this secret revealed, uh, that would be revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. They were praying with uh, a very specific purpose. They were saying, Lord, would you reveal this secret? Would you please tell us what this dream means? You know, a lot of times we're not praying with focus. We're not praying with specificity. What we're doing is we're praying in generalities. Lord, just bless this day. God, would you just provide? What would happen if we started praying specifically? God, would you meet our needs uh, again? Uh, God, would you give us a building again? Uh, we have about a year left in this lease, in this building, and we're praying that God provides for us a building uh, that we could call home, that we could purchase, that we could dig some deep roots uh, here in the Inland Empire. And I don't want to just pray in generalities. I want to pray specifically. Uh, that's why when we go by that movie theater right here, we're praying specifically, God, if it's your will, would you give us that movie theater so that we could uh, use that movie theater to declare the gospel in this region? And so I think when it comes to prayer, we need to stop praying just in vague generalities and start praying specifically for God to do something in our lives. Pray with friends, pray with fervency, but pray with focus. And this is what Daniel and his friends did. And so when crisis comes into our lives, we have to stay hungry for wisdom. We have to run to prayer. But then here's the third thing today, number three. We have to trust God's hand. Trust his hand. Now, next in the narrative, Daniel does something very interesting. He goes to sleep which is fascinating because uh, his life was on the line. And uh, the executioner came to his doorstep and wanted to kill him and all the wise uh, men of Babylon, and Daniel goes to sleep. I think it's interesting, you know, many times in the Bible you see larger-than-life characters uh, that are under extreme persecution or crisis, and they were actually 
going to sleep. Uh, like Peter, when he was in prison in Acts chapter number 12, they're getting ready to kill him and to behead him like they did James. And uh, what, what was Peter doing in that moment? He was sleeping, right? And it just goes to show that God gives his beloved rest, uh, that if you are weary today, that if you are exhausted, God can give you the rest that you need. And so Daniel goes to sleep, and God reveals to him uh, the interpretation of the dream uh, in the night. Notice it in verse number 19. Everybody with me this morning? Verse 19. Then was this secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, if I'm Daniel and I just got the dream and the interpretation, I woke up and I'm like, I got it. I would have made a beeline to the palace. Like, I'm, I'm going to go straight to Nebuchadnezzar and say, guess what? I figured it out. Don't kill anyone. Uh, time is of the essence. I, I'm, I'm going to move with urgency. But what Daniel does is he stops and he blesses the God of heaven. In fact, the next few verses, Daniel is going to sing a song and he's going to praise and bless the Lord. In other words, Daniel does what we often neglect to do. He paused to praise. So often what we do is we want to rush on to the next thing, and God answers our prayer, and we're excited about that. Okay, and then we uh, get into action mode. I, I believe what we ought to do is to pause and to praise and to give thanks. And that's exactly what we see uh, Daniel doing here. He pauses to praise. Now, in this uh, prayer of praise, in this song of praise, there are three lessons that will be done today. Uh, three lessons. The first lesson that I believe that we see in verse number 21 is this. God is the author of all authority. This is something that Daniel recognized in his prayer, in his prayer, in his praise. God is the author of all authority. Notice it in verse 21. And he changes the times and the seasons and removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. What Daniel is praising here in this song is that God is the author of all authority, that, that he sets up kings, that he removes kings. Can I tell you that God is not shocked or surprised at who or who isn't in the White House? That, that he sets up kings, that he removes kings. That God is the author of authority. You cannot spell authority without spelling author, which is a reminder that God has ordained all the authorities that be. Now, Romans 13 tells us this. Romans 13, verse number one, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers that we are to submit unto the authorities that be. But there is no power but of God, that no one has authority if God in his sovereignty did not allow them to have that authority. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth that power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, you might think, well, when Paul wrote that, he just didn't understand uh, the authority that's in my, he didn't, he's never met my boss before. If he knew my boss, he would not say that I need to submit to authority. Uh, remember, when Paul wrote this, this was during the times of Nero. And in case you're unsure of who Nero is, uh, Nero is known for uh, persecuting and killing Christians uh, for pleasure. And so Paul was writing, hey, we ought to submit to the authorities that be, even in a time of intense persecution like that. Now, we understand uh, that if there is a, a command given that goes against Scripture, Peter said in, in, in Acts chapter 4, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so we have to recognize that God is our ultimate authority, but uh, we must recognize that he is the author of all authority. And Daniel's recognizing here before the presence of an evil king. Hey, God can set up kings. He can take down uh, kings. He is sovereign over every season. And so God is the author of all all authority, and David was, was, or Daniel was praising the Lord for this. Now, uh, not only is God the author of all authority, but God is aware of all activity. He's aware of all activity. Notice verse number 22. He revealed the deep and secret things 
He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I love this prayer and praise by Daniel. He says, God knows the secret things. He knows the things that are in the dark. Those things that have happened to you that no one else knows about. Those things that perhaps you've done that no one else knows about. That that God knows it all. That he is completely omniscient. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and the evil. And this is comforting to us when we see uh, the, the, those in Babylon that are thriving, those in wickedness that are thriving, those that are in power that are perhaps abusing power. We can know that, hey, God sees it all. He, he is aware of all activity. God is the author of authority, but he is aware of all activity. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 says this, the secret things belong unto the Lord. God knows it all. They don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. Now, by the way, if we understood all the secret things in life, if every doubt that you've ever had was resolved, if every question that you ever had was answered, you wouldn't need faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible does not say that without faith, it's hard to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the next time a question comes into your mind or a crisis comes into your life and you can't make sense of it, just know that is a great opportunity to walk by faith and to please the Lord. We're not going to understand it all, but God does. He's the author of all authority and he is aware of all activity. And this is what Daniel is praising him for. But not only that, the third lesson that we can learn is this. God is always ready to answer. Notice verse 23. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. He's saying this, God, thank you for answering my prayers. I'm thankful that God answers prayers, aren't you, today? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is yes, but God is always faithful to answer our prayers. A.W. Tozer said this, God answers our prayers not because we are good, but because he is good. He is faithful, and he is always there to answer our prayers. Uh, by the way, even when this comes to salvation, I, I love that the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, you cry out to God, he will answer. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Daniel responds with praise, and he's thanking the Lord for answering his prayers. Now, I want us to see uh, how this concludes today, and we'll be done. Everybody have a few more minutes left today? Notice verse number 24. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus unto him, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. By the way, I think and I believe that Daniel had compassion on those wise men of Babylon. Daniel didn't go in and say, I interpret the dream. Just save me and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he didn't just say, save me and my friends. He said, save all the wise men of Babylon. He had compassion for those that weren't just like him. He had compassion for those that were in a godless culture. And maybe today, instead of being so frustrated with the godless culture, we should ask God to give us eyes of compassion so that we could reach a godless culture. And so here's Daniel, and he's saying, uh, spare the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the interpretation. I will show the king the interpretation. And so if you go down a couple of verses, verse number 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king had demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. He says, hey, what you're searching for, the world can't provide. Can I tell you today that what you are searching for, that eternal sense of purpose, the world cannot provide. 
Sure, you can find some temporary purpose in life. You can find some temporary cause. There's always a cause to look for. Just go on social media. You can find a cause rather quickly. There's always some temporary purpose that you can live for. But if you are searching for eternal purpose, you cannot find eternal lasting purpose apart from Jesus Christ. And so Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, everyone in your system, they can't help you, can they? And then in verse number 28, he says this, and I want to close with this. And as I read this, would you join me in standing this morning? He says, they can't help you. But then he says in verse number 28, but there is a God. The world can't help you, Nebuchadnezzar, but there is a God in heaven who can. There is a God that can meet your needs. There is a God that can provide purpose and clarity in your life. And to anyone in the room today or watching online that might be like Nebuchadnezzar, that's doubting the system, that's a little skeptical of religion, that is uncertain about what to believe or where to go, I would encourage you today. There is a God. As we look to creation, what we see is design and order. What we see is intelligent design that there is no way that this could have just happened by accident. There's design, there's order, there's intelligence that can be viewed. And if there is design, there must be a designer. There is a God, and today his name is Jesus Christ, and he is able to forgive sins. He is mighty to save. He can give the purpose that you're longing for. There is a God. And this is what Daniel was bold enough to stand before a godless king and say, I want you to know today that there is a God in heaven and you can trust him. And today, if you're in this room and you have never had a real relationship with Jesus Christ, God's son, today can be the day of salvation for you. Maybe today you're in crisis mode. Maybe you are hurting. You're filled with anxiety. You're angry this morning. You're upset about the injustice that was brought in your direction. But just know that there is always true character that is revealed in crisis. And when we find ourselves in crisis, we can stay hungry for wisdom. God can give it to us. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. I'm thankful that when we need wisdom, God will give it to us. And God has a plethora of wisdom just ready to give to us. We can respond by having wisdom from above. We can run to God in prayer. And we can trust his hand. Because he can change the times and seasons. He can change your season that you're in. He can set up kings. He can remove kings. He is all sovereign, and today you can trust him.